As I speak, it's October the 14th, 2020, and a year ago today, almost to the minute, I was about to go receive my first ECT treatment. That's electroconvulsive therapy, and it is a medical treatment basically used in patients with severe major depression or bipolar disorder that hasn't responded to other treatments. It really is a brief electrical stimulation of the brain while the patient is under and it's more or less an induced seizure. It used to be seen as very barbaric, something that really messed with people's memory, but over the decades, it's been pretty perfected to be almost completely safe and very effective. So the crazy thing is, as I was at my parents' house, I was waiting for my dad to tell me it was time to go, and as I was waiting, I was actually researching to see if there was anything I could take before the treatment, something that if mixed with the anesthesia, there could be a potential danger and the higher potential of a freak fatal accident. I was basically looking for something that if mixed with anesthesia, it, would, could, it could possibly kill me. So hooked up to the machines in that hospital room, IV in place, I was told to take deep breaths to, uh, so that the anesthesia would take its effect. And I was literally begging God in my head, please let something go wrong. Please take my life. It has to end somehow. And the other alternative will cause a level of devastation and immensely more painful processing for my family for the rest of their lives. At least let it be an accident, God. And I really can't even express to you the pain of coming out of that sleep knowing that my nightmare was continuing. And so this was all on a Monday, and, and that day and the following Tuesday and Wednesday will always be remembered for me as the three worst days of my life. So during a season of multiple ECT treatment visits, therapy appointments, psychiatry check-ins, my dad was the driver. Because when you're on ECT treatments, you're not allowed to drive. And so getting into the car with my dad for the first round of ECT, I got into the back seat, put my jacket over my head, and begged God, absolutely begged God, let this be it. Please, God, don't let me come out of this hospital alive. I was basically praying for a miracle. People who were just so giving people that just said what can we do we'll do it people that reached out no strings attached just to say we're thinking about you we'll do anything for you like you look like someone just stabbed you like you're writhing in pain on the ground like that that was a different level of not just bucking up and being a dad like that was a totally different spot I had anger. It wasn't with God, but I, just, I had a righteous anger. I was just literally stunned by what people were saying about you and things they were doing to you and your family. And that's just something I'll never forget. I mean, I've forgiven and I've gone on, but I was just severely angry at that. Your demeanor was so not you, you would walk with a shuffle. And I remember like reading about that and that was just like part of the symptom of a major depressive episode is like you'd be barefoot but you'd be shuffling like you had really heavy boots on. Gee, I, I hate even thinking about it, but I guess it's good to think about these things and, and learn from it. I know it would have been easier for you to end the pain. It would have been easier to just end your pain. And that's the biggest part. You just like, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I don't, I don't know how long this is gonna last. I don't know how bad it's gonna get. I don't know if I'm at the worst point yet. You had to be thinking all that. And, but you still said, I'm not going anywhere. Initially, I was just so excited to share, to not sound cheesy, but to share the victory, to share that it can be overcome, to share that you can be in the deepest, darkest, scariest place and 
and come out okay. So, Dad, when you think about the season that we all went through together about a year ago, I mean, what's kind of just starting this conversation off was kind of a snapshot of, I don't know, emotions, visuals, you know, how were you feeling during that time? I mean, what was what was yeah. that whole thing like? Well, some of the things right off the top of my head, I guess, would be that um, when I first found out that you were in that condition, I was just shocked. And I knew it was going to be a long, hard road for you to get back. So uh, that's the kind of things going through my mind. And, gee, I, I hate even thinking about it, but I guess it's good to think about these things and let me, learn let me from ask, it. So let me ask you this. So when you say that when you heard, a, heard about what I was going through, I mean, you've definitely – seen me in depressed seasons and stuff so what what was it that kind of signaled to you that this is this is way worse was it priscilla reaching out and and explaining well this is this is not the regular sort of struggle no um well first of all it was kind of the suddenness of it because I, i wasn't i guess keyed into it had been going on for a little while but i think when it really hit me that it was going to be bad was it had gone on for like months and I'd never seen me or you, you know, go that long right? suffering. So I was like, this is different. Yeah. And I mean, and I saw you in the shape you were in and you weren't getting any relief. So, and and no matter what we tried, no matter what the doctors tried, it just seemed like we weren't making any headway. Yeah. Yeah. So, it sounds like, and and I mean, we're completely brutally honest on this podcast. It sounds yeah. like you did kind of fear the worst. Uh, I know I said that, but I never thought that that would happen. But I guess the thoughts do come to right. your mind. You're right. like, well, this goes on much longer. He's going to lose what little hope he might have. You know, right, right. I remember continually saying to you and mom because I was staying with y'all for such long stretches of time, I, I just remember saying, I, I'm just petrified I'm not going to get any better. Yeah, I remember that. it was just like I was doing everything that I needed to do and I just wasn't finding any relief. And I was like, is it is it possible for your brain just not to be able to Yeah, to just snap back? and not get I mean, back, yeah. What well, was, was kind of Priscilla going through your head when it came to me going over there like I, I it was something that you and I both found to be the best scenario but like I guess what was what was going on in your head as far as thinking in that direction well you said that we both thought it was best and eventually we both thought that was best but originally that's what I knew I needed it was kind of This is going to be a funny little comparison, but I remember when I dealt with a little bit of postpartum when I had our third kiddo, William, and uh, also was having a hard time with breastfeeding and getting him on a schedule, and it just seemed harder than the other two. And um, I remember Dr. Clifford saying, you know, you do what you need to do because you need to be healthy for the kids. Like sometimes a mom will be like, well, I, ha- I have to breastfeed no matter how hard it is for me or whatever. And um, that was like really hard for me to make different decisions that I thought would be best for him. But my health was also important. And I just, you know, during that time, I was kind of trying to make it seem like everything was going to be okay. And deep down, I thought everything was going to be okay, but it was a really long journey. So having you in the house and then having the kids, our house is usually loud with lots of people over all the time. And I was trying to keep it quieter. It was summer, so the kids are home a lot. And, you know, trying to care for you and then also with the kids, trying to make it seem like everything's normal. Also trying to explain the kids why you're resting and it felt like a really hard balance and it felt like it's going to get harder on the kids. And it's so anyway, this is why I felt like it would be best if you were at Barbara and Virgil's 
And I don't know if you remember, originally you you were not okay with that. You did not like that idea at all. You felt like you were getting kicked out of the house and I was not kicking you out. And I was doing that for you. I did not want the kids to remember you like that. I, I don't remember that. I yeah. believe you. <laughs> it kind of it remember. felt kind of bad. It felt like I knew that was the right thing, and it felt bad. Because once I was over there, it was hard to come back. Just, yes, just like the hospital. So <laughs> yes, so when you were, it was almost like you were too scared to come home because you had to like enter back in, and so you know, like I, you needed to try to not have your world get small to where you didn't have people around you, but at the same time, when your suffering was so intense. I just, I just didn't want the kids to remember. I didn't want them to have visuals and memories like that. I mean, they're going to have memories and it'll be interesting to talk to them when they're older. (laughs) And, um, I don't know, not in a kid state to tell us how they remember it, but. Well, Gwenny's articulated a lot, but yeah. 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 I, well, once I did wrap my mind around it and did agree, I think for me too, it was also everything that you said as far as me not wanting the kids to see me that way, but also recognizing that I'm so like burdened with anxiety and depression, all that stuff. I didn't need one more thing to fuel that, which Ooh. is worrying about my kids seeing yeah. me this way and putting pressure on myself to be a dad while right. I'm home. Yeah. And so I And I think some people would... might say that could help pull you out, which I would agree with that, but we were at a place where I mean when you're literally you're you're writhing like you look like someone just stabbed you, like you're writhing in pain on the ground. Yeah, like that that was a different level of not just bucking up and being a dad. Like that was a totally different spot. And I'll say for me too, I wasn't getting sleep because I would lay there wondering if you were getting sleep and you weren't getting sleep. And so then every night that I could tell you weren't sleeping, then I would get nervous and I wouldn't get sleep. And I just remember worrying like our kids cannot have both parents not okay. You know? Dad, Priscilla told me about a time that I didn't even know that you guys had spent the night. Like, Ooh. I I woke up in the morning. I think you guys had already left. And it was pretty hard for Priscilla to tell me this. But we've just been super open about all of it. But there was a point where she was just kind of scared, like, of, of me. The flowers I feel overwhelmed with the amount of people I want to write these long thank you letters to. (laughs) And so like I have all these little moments like with you and Michelle or um, Josh and Lisa and then Josh downtown and like all these different, geez, my sister and your parents and (sighs) Annie and Jennifer. Like there's a ridiculous amount of people that I just don't even know. I just don't even know how to thank them. So Dr. Lewis, he was your doctor during that week that you were there. And I told him I'd really, really love to be able to talk about what happened each day, but I'm so limited on my time. I go to school really early in the morning. And then as soon as I get out, I have kids, like I'm never alone. I'm just never alone. And um, I have a car ride home from school to home where the rest of my kids are. And I, the kid that's in the car with me, she can wear earphones and then I can talk to you or whatever. And so he would call me either on my way to work at 7.30 in the morning or he would make sure to call me when he knew I was getting off at like 3.45. That's insane. Is that not amazing? Like it makes me want to cry right now. And it was, I cannot tell you how helpful it was because... I have this army of people that I, that feel like warriors to me, like you guys that just, I can feel like I tangible love and support. Um, and not just for me and not just, Oh, I feel sorry for you, but like, we love you guys. 
and we value Joey and we believe in like Joey matters to us. Like he's not just some sort of thing to figure out or moving on or whatever. Like he's valuable to you. Like, um, that was so important. And then like talking to someone who can just speak to me scientifically about what the hell is going on was like, like fresh water to me, you know, because it kept me steady. look on my face and it was hard to hear and at the same time it, it like Priscilla's dad says it is what it is yeah. <laughs> as well but it I was think, part of what that was yeah, yeah I think it was me finding out that she was sleeping in another room and the reason for that was so that she could get sleep and when I I guess when I opened the door to see you I was like freaked out that you were and it just kind of I'm probably understating <laughs> Yeah, so uh, to remind you of when that was, when William did that basketball camp, mm-hmm. that was the very next morning we took him to the last day of his basketball camp and all of us went. But that was <clears throat> that was right around the time I was like, it is time for Joey to stay with y'all because I, I was mm-hmm. like, I think that was, I, I think I had some sort of anxiety or panic attack. I don't know. But I've never ever had any type of, I mean, I can get stressed or nervous, but I've never had like what would be officially called anxiety or any kind of panic attack. But it was just a really long journey of laying next to Joey, just hearing every move and feeling worried about his sleep, worried about his pain, worried about like him moving around. And I mean, it's just, and so... I think Gwenny was at a friend's or something. And so I was in her room and I didn't tell him I was going to sleep somewhere else. And I wasn't totally planning on it, but I went in there to, I think, watch something on Netflix and I didn't want to mess with your sleep. And so then I started to go to sleep and I was like, I, I really think I could just go to sleep here. And then I heard you going around checking areas and you opened the door and I mean, it was just dark in the house, but there's a little bit of light and your face, I could just see your face and you just, it just didn't look like you. And you were like, what are you doing in here? And you seemed like angry, but I think your anxiety was through the roof. Like, I think you were super anxious and it, it felt like you were angry at me and I didn't think you would hurt me, but I just felt scared of like, this is not my Joey. Like, this is not you. And always, anytime you've ever felt with like dealt with seasons of depression, you, you like never need me. Like you don't latch on to me or need me, or you usually try really hard not to be a burden. Like you don't say poor me. You don't try to make people feel sorry for you. You just try and, you know, go off on your own and get through it on your own. You try your very best to just not mess with anyone when you get through and this bout when you're dealing with anxiety is almost like like I felt like you'd latch on to me does that make sense and it was like a new feeling like I've never felt that from you yeah well let me let me set like you were scared and you needed me and you were angry and I was like I've never felt any of these things from you right (laughs) you know it seems like this time uh, this was the only time where it seemed like okay Joey's not there Mm -hmm. like other times it was there's Joey and he's really depressed mm-hmm. this time around. It was like, that, this doesn't even look like the same person. Yeah. And, and real quick for the record, I've never hurt you. <laughs> right. Ever. Why just, are you saying that? Did I yeah, make it sound like straight. you did? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just making sure like it, people aren't thinking <laughs> Priscilla's scared that he's going to hurt me again. It was, it was, <laughs> oh, <you>. no. <laughs> no, you've never. No. No, if anyone had the potential of getting really angry, it would be me. So, <laughs> what are some of the? Well, can I say something during that time when that happened? And I, I remember my 
like heart just starting to race, but I was trying to look real calm. Like I was just like, I was telling you something, but I was like on the inside, like, who is this? And you kind of, you like walked away almost mad or ticked and frustrated and, but also like anxiety and pacing and, you know, all the kids are sleeping and I didn't want the kids to hear you sound like that either. And I just remember all of it. I was like, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. And that's when I called Barbara and Virgil. And it was like, I didn't call them right away. I laid there and I kept trying to sleep. And I remember when I didn't hear you moving around anymore, but I was laying in the bed, just looking around the room, listening for every sound. And I really quietly went and checked on all the kids to make sure they were all sleeping, make sure they were okay. And then I would try to go to sleep and I would almost, and my body would jolt me awake. Like I wouldn't, it's like I couldn't go to sleep. And that's when I called Barb and Virgil. And it was like almost in the middle of the night and they said, we'll be right there. And they came. How did you get them there? You just said, I'm scared of Joey. I, Come quick. I wonder if I saved the text because I texted them. But yeah, they knew that yeah. it was not just, oh, I'm having a hard time sleeping. Yeah, you pretty much told us just what you said. You know, that you were scared. You, you didn't know how bad off Joey was, whether, you know, he was going to hurt somebody, mm-hmm. th- those kinds of things. So, um, like deep down, I didn't think he would, but oh, because I, I he felt yeah. so unusual and not himself, I was. Well, this I was, was scared. A different I felt animal. like I needed another adult with me. Yeah, this was a different animal than any other time you'd been depressed. And I mean, we all. Those that were close to you realized that was the case. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was pretty bad. Well, and medically, so so just you know, this isn't me trying to make myself feel better with this conversation, <laughs> but oh. you know, for the record, throughout all this, that was never a struggle. Like, but medically, oh, I know that. medically yeah. speaking, when like the when I went to the emergency room, <clears throat> when I've gone to a psychiatrist, a psychologist, the question they ask is, "Have you had feelings of hurting yourself?" Have you had feelings of hurting others? Yeah. So yeah. that is like a medical. Yeah, they thing always have when to ask that when your when your brain is is mm. sick. But I I can't relate to that. I don't know how it feels to be so upset that I want to hurt someone hurt else. Someone. Yeah. yeah. Did so? I think at some points, and obviously it was just such a tough time for everyone. But I think at some points, I mean, wasn't there like a level of frustration? With Priscilla, may I, I could be making this up, but obviously you guys kind of had a little more experience with this, mm. not to this degree, but with with your struggles. And so, I have said, and I'll, I'll say this to Chip when he comes too. I mean, it literally was you, Mom, and Chip were the only ones that were basically saying nothing is going to help until medicine kicks in, like not sending him to Charlotte. Not doing this, not doing that. It's n- the medicine has to kick in in this scenario. I mean, yeah. was it was it tough? Was there ever times where you're just like, gosh, I wish Priscilla could just understand? Well, first of all, let me say that yeah, the first thing I saw in Priscilla was definitely a fear, mm-hmm. but that wore off pretty quick, and then you were just frustrated. But then you were really trying to, to do everything you could think of. To help Joey, but it was hard for you to to realize that before the counseling could really help, he had to get his physical thing going on, and then the counseling for sure would work wonders. It would really help, and you know it didn't hurt for to to be a little counseling early on, I guess, so he could be comfortable with it. But yeah, um, what you said is is totally true. Yeah, that. Priscilla was was pretty frustrated, I think, with that and didn't understand it. But you had never gone through anything this bad. Yeah. You had seen Joey depressed before, but not writhing in pain on the floor and sobbing incontrollably, you know. Yeah, or scaring me or needing yeah. me or latching on to me. Yeah, or you'd never all seen those things. No. Yeah. It was just so many different things I'd never experienced before. And yeah, I think I was... I was really frustrated with the process of like, where do I go for the proper help? Like yeah. what is, cause it felt, you know, it was an yeah. emergency. It feels like it really when was, you go yeah. to the ER and you're going to get help depending on the ER, like it seems like within the hour. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when you feel like you're sitting in the ER and four months later, you still feel like you're sitting in the ER. It's really frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like what, what, am I not tapping into that I need, which is why I was investigating Charlotte, which is why I'm like, 
how long can you guys withstand watching him in that dark of a place? Because mm-hmm. once he was with you guys, I felt like I was able to put the kids on a schedule, mm-hmm. put myself on a schedule and have some sort of normalcy. And then I ended up getting that job with uh, the school that Gwenny went to, which gave me a really good routine yeah. and a little bit of an escape. Like I was so busy there and it was an easy job that it gave mm-hmm. me, it was a huge blessing. It sort of gave me like making me feel normal because yeah. I spent the whole summer, I probably clocked 40 hours a week researching, talking, trying to schedule appointments, taking mm-hmm. joy to you things did. to try. I mean, it felt like a full-time job. Yeah, And I was, I mean, I felt like I was going a little crazy myself, just trying so hard to find just find the right, the right path, you know? And, and you know, and th- this was, or should have been considered, and I think it was, a serious medical condition. You know how they always say, mm-hmm. in a serious medical condi- condition, early treatment is of the earnest, you know? Yeah. So four, mon- four months later, here we are saying the same thing. We need to get him treatment. <laughs> but nothing had worked for four yeah. months. In hindsight, it's 2020. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I could have taken more control when I came back from New York and you were real bad. I wish I, hindsight is twenty twenty. I wish it would have been like, I'm not accepting anything else except you going back to Fermo. I know that you're not comfortable with that. Fermo's like, our psychiatrist. Yeah, like you wanted to go to our regular doctor who is amazing and was very much awesome um, to me personally during that time as well, but- it's like you really wanted to do, for a lack of better words, a DIY. You wanted to go back on a medicine that you knew worked. You wanted to give that time. You like, like you wanted to just go back to what you always did. And I, you know, honored you and gave you that time to do that. But in hindsight, like we realized the dosage you were on and everything was just not even touching. So it's like it gave you an extra month of unnecessary suffering and no possibility of ever coming out of that with such a low dose of what you were on at that time. We just didn't know. Cause you spent, I mean, I would say this is how I would describe it. You, I mean, you wrote a book called fundamentalism. You fundamentalist. Oh, <laughs> the name of your book. fundamentalist. Okay. Anyways, you have been open about it. You have gone to therapy. You have taken medication. It's not like you were against getting any kind of help, but I will say you also are tight on money. You don't like to spend too much money on yourself. And so you did a little bit of DIY of taking care of your depression. You didn't want to go spend the money on a psychiatrist. And I don't know, you try to do the minimum and I think that you were used to dealing with the beast of depression, that it was sort of like, this is what works for me. On well, Joey, for people that don't know this, didn't you go through like three or four iterations of medications and trying different medications? This time around? Yeah. This oh, one. yeah. Yeah, I thought oh, so. Yeah, it yeah. may have been more than that. Yeah. And so we won't get into the whole hospital thing today, but that was when I made, so, so basically every morning, you met with a psychiatrist and a, a different social worker and all that. I was in the driver's seat. They're like, look, here, here are your options. Here's what we think. What, what do you want to do? And so it was in the hospital that I decided to get back on all of my old medications because mm-hmm. I knew those had at least worked. And I said, is it, is it likely that they'll kick back in? They said, yeah, that's probably a good move. And your body could be too used to oh, them yes. and it won't work. I mean, that's mm. that's the most miserable thing. Yeah, you have to make your own decisions. Is, and I, I know that this, I don't want to sound insensitive to other people when I say this, but I had, I had articulated, at least to Priscilla, that I almost wish I had cancer because if you have cancer, you know exactly what to do. It's mm-hmm. radiation, chemotherapy, or a natural yeah. way of doing it. But we know these are the things, and we know these things and what they do and what's going to happen to your body and all of that. With this, it's like, uh, I have no idea what's going to work. I, I mean, I have no clue what medication I need to be on. And you get on a medication and you just have to wait, and then you don't know how long to wait to give it a chance. Because you know that if you switch to another medication, then you're going to have to wait for that one too. Know, that's it's just, what's it's just, Oh, my gosh. Well, and I will say, well, 
the cancer thing, actually, I've learned more. I mean, some people do have a harder time finding it and sometimes your body's different. So they'll like test your body and see what sort of thing. So sometimes there is a trial and error with cancer as well. I'll just say people will wear pink ribbons and support you and kind of fight with you and know how to stand with you. And I think fighting mental illness, people feel uncomfortable with that. But I will say we also were extremely... I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy, but we were just so blessed with so many people that did stand there and at least appeared on the outside that they did understand and they weren't freaked out. I think I've learned later that some people were pretty scared and freaked out, but at the time they didn't, you know, they supported us and didn't just decide that, you know, Joey's gone. We'll never get him back. Yeah. Did you want want people to be freaked out with you or did you want people to even if they were freaked out inside, no, demonstrate hope. <laughs> I know that the Bible says mourn with those who mourn or yeah. whatever. I don't know if it says freak out with people who freak out. I did not need anyone to freak out. No, you didn't need that. I needed stability. And I mean, yeah, no, I didn't need anyone to be scared with me. They could be scared with someone else and tell me about it later, but I did not need to hold someone else's fear. That was not mine to hold. I didn't need, I didn't have capacity to try and comfort anybody else at that time except the kids. So you didn't want Barbara to just fall in your arms and sob. She had to fall in your arms (laughs) (laughs) without me. (laughs) There was was one moment, and I don't think mom would mind me sharing, but there was was a few weeks or maybe Priscilla would say a couple of months, but I eventually got out of this thing. And then, I mean, it, it, the depression got worse, oh, but early that. on, I just was sobbing all the time. And I remember it was just me and mom at home and she had a heart, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm sobbing, she needs to sit next to me. And I mean, there yeah. was one time where she just was like, Jesus, Jesus. And like, it was almost like a angry, frustrated prayer. And mm. I asked her, I said, is this too hard for me to be here? And she was like, no, 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 no. Mm. But it was almost like a, it felt like a breaking point, which probably wasn't, but that's what it at least sounded that's like. That's Mama Bear and Barbara. Yeah. She's like, yeah. <laughs> so she'll fight any way she can for her yeah. people. So obviously, Dad, you were one, if, I mean, through this season, if not one of my main rocks because mm-hmm. I was spending so much time over there. So... This has nothing to do with you, uh, but I remember one of the worst visuals was when I would go to bed at night. It that's if I could sleep, that's the only relief. Yeah, like medicine didn't give me relief, counseling didn't give me relief. It was just going to sleep, and so I remember it may would take me four hours to go to sleep, but then once I went to sleep, I would get up and I would. Uh, pee and the bathroom was right across the hall and I can mm-hmm. see the living room and if you were up in your chair on your iPad it mm-hmm. was devastating because it meant that it's going to get daytime in a few like hours. Like the day is coming like, and the day and is it, too it, overwhelming. Yeah, a few hours by the way because it's like 4.30 in the morning <laughs> but I would see dad and his iPad and I mean my heart just sunk I mean because mm-hmm. I was like oh gosh I have another day of start this. soon but there's like a um you know, getting and, and none of this is traumatizing, but it is very impactful. Like I remember getting in y'all's car after maybe a month that when all this was better and it was I mean, that's the car that I would just sit in the back seat curled up in a ball where you would take me to the ECTs and that's the same car that you would take me to therapy appointments. There's mm-hmm. like a there's a little end table in the room that I was <clears throat> staying at and like just how I remember staring at the the handles. And so it's like these visuals that remind me of that time when I see them now, it just it kind of takes me back there. And usually mm-hmm. it's like a it's a mixture of Ugh, heaviness, but more Thanksgiving. But I mean, I'll never see that blue blanket again in the same way. And I bet you, you won't either. I, mean, I know. But, I mean, cause like a lot of times you have the blue blanket pulled over your head. And uh, I know even one time in the, uh, in the waiting room there, when you were getting your treatments, I, I looked over one time and you had the, uh, something pulled over your head. And there were other people sitting in the room, and I just was wondering what they were imagining. God, what's the matter with that guy? But yeah, that that was really sad. And um, 
See, there was another visual I had. Oh, yeah, the one that I think of is just the way you just sobbed uncontrollably and saying things like, am I ever going to get over this? Am I ever going to get back to my normal self? You know, things like that and just writhing in pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you what, I, I think mental pain to me is worse than physical pain because mental pain, you never know if you're going to get how long it's going to last and when you're going to get out of it. But physical pain, you know there's going to be an end. Mm -hmm. But mental is different. Yeah, a visual I have is, um, I don't know, I don't remember, it was, it was just a measure of survival at that time, but I remember something was happening that I was really worried. That's all I can I do to survive sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was that triggered it, but uh, it was extra already horrendous but it was extra horrendous <laughs> and horrendous. yeah and so you came over and I remember opening the door and I mean oh I'll probably get emotional saying it because it's just such a sweet visual too but Virgil you said where is he and this is a little bit of where I see like um you're always so laid back and <laughs> You're like on the outside. I know this sounds silly to say because you're like my elder, but you're such a precious person. You have like all that, like Ethel in you, your mom, mm. and um, but when you have like that leveled up of like kind of a fierceness, like you had that, but still your tenderness. You're like, where is he? And I was like, he's upstairs. I wrote this in the hospital. I know I have self-inflicted wounds but there's still wounds that need tending to. I need help and it's nowhere to be found. My situation is like wearing one of two virtual goggles, but you never get to pick which one. One set of goggles lets you see the world with expectation, opportunity, positivity, and maybe even delight. The other forces you to see the world with dread, fear, negativity, and hopelessness. Both virtual goggles have a dial that can be tuned from 1 to 10, dictating just how delightful or just how painful life feels in the pit of your innermost being. I know it's not that simple. There's way more variables, including choices that I make. But I swear there are times when my perspective of reality is hinged squarely on those damn goggles and nothing else. And so he goes upstairs into here. It's like right here. Our room was arranged differently. But Joey was on the floor just doing his writhing in pain. And you just got, I mean, you immediately got down on the floor with him so he could see you. And you were just laying there with him, talking to him, giving him hope. I don't know if he was receiving the hope, but you were just feeding him Mm -hmm. hope and love. And I'll just never forget what that looked like. Yeah, that's what... In my experience, that's what people need, and that's what I always needed. Somebody just giving me hope, you know. Yeah. So I knew that's what Joey needed at that time. Well, just the just the metaphor that that represents too also is is like someone being willing to get down there with you in mm. your pain, yeah, and and not necessarily uh, observe and assess. I mean, there's a time for that, but just. I mean, getting on right. ground level with someone, and yeah. I, 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 I'm glad that I have a little memory of that. I don't remember it uh, as clearly as Priscilla, but I, I do. I do remember all the ground time, and I, I remember, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were very. Um, I mean, it was pretty agile too. You were quick. It's like you dropped <laughs> to the ground. I was like, dang. It did. It felt like it just felt for a seventy-one-year-old. Huh? <laughs> Probably broke you were, something. I you were know. all in. <laughs> yeah. I know. I think. Yeah, I know for a fact, Dad, that you you called you called this a, a perfect storm because I mean, it literally was like mid to late June, all the way to. I mean, I I, I think of. I think of Halloween night and the fact that I was able to trick or treat, interact with adults and kids. Like I kind of see 
the end of October. But then when I look in my journals, I still was having some hard days in November. But I think I recognize I'm I'm turning around here. Like things things are getting better. Me too. But I think of Thanksgiving, which I know that sounds so cliche, but I just remember Thanksgiving at my parents and I'm like, we are like on our way to a new season. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't a hundred percent, but yes, yeah. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, so dad, you, like Priscilla said, I mean, you're super laid back, got the longest fuse. And once that fuse is up, they'll get out of your way for sure. But was it like, did you struggle with anger with, I guess, any of the situations that was surrounding this whole mess? Did you struggle with anger with with God or was, was anger not really a part of the equation? I had, <clears throat> I had anger. It wasn't with God, but I, just, I had a righteous anger. I was just literally stunned by what people were saying about you and things they were doing to you and your family. And that's just something I'll never forget. I mean, I've forgiven and I've gone on, but I was just severely angry at that. Yeah. But not with God. Yeah. And I guess that only comes with years and years of, of somewhat experience with something similar to what you went through. Uh, I, I could realize where there's always an end and there's always something to be learned from it and make you stronger. When you're younger, maybe the first time you've gone through it, yeah, you might be, you might be angry with God, but mm-hmm. not me. So an interesting thing to ask both of y'all is I think that there were times when I am mentally incapacitated and really needed people to help me make decisions for me. And there's also times, Dad, that I can remember in the middle of all this mess at your house where you and I are talking about the Svensson budget and crunching numbers and like I'm I'm normal human being sort of thing. So like for people that are in the sphere of friendships or family with someone going through what I go through, how mm. how do they temper the times in which someone can operate and can think and can reason and can make decisions for themselves and then the times that they can't. You just mm-hmm. have to be sensitive to <laughs> what's going on at the moment. Yeah, the word that comes to me is dignity. So if I were going through something like that, I would not want you to treat me like I'm now just, I have no thoughts I have no reason. I have no ability at all. I would like for you to um, take over when you know that I'm sick, but it doesn't mean, I mean, I, I guess Chip call it like right now his brain is broken and it's getting fixed, but it's going to take, I mean, just like if your body gets broken in a really bad car accident, you don't start running next week. <laughs> so it takes a while to heal from something like that. But yeah. I'm not going to treat you like like you you're nothing. I would not want you to treat me that way. So I just I just I feel like for me anytime we do a session like this, I always get a little emotional. So I like to make sure we do it in the morning or at a time where I feel like it's a good time because it feels emotionally taxing going back there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I don't know. I I just the word that happens that that resonates every time I have a visual, every time I think about you in the hospital or just these different experiences I had that were so frustrating is the word dignity. And I just feel mm-hmm. like that that is something that needs to be improved when it comes to mental health, when it comes to mental health care, when it comes to society, when it comes to stigmatism. Like I... Like, I just want everyone to remember the word dignity when you are either going through it, know that you are allowed to and have a right to be treated with dignity. And if you are helping someone, remember the word dignity when you're interacting with them. Yeah. 
because the person I married is an amazing person. And I was thinking this the other day, like, you know, you officiated a wedding a few weeks ago, like in sickness and in health, like, I think sometimes when we're young and you stand there and you're making those promises to each other, you have no idea what sort of trials are coming exactly. or what sort of sickness is actually something we're going to be there for, for each other. And what if it's paralyzation? What if it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you were mentally paralyzed for a while. It didn't mean you aren't allowed to be treated with dignity. Yeah. So people, yeah. go ahead. Well, yeah, people, they need to, when they get married, they need to remember their vows. And like you said, sickness and in health and really reserve any kind of, uh, judgments on people that are suffering from severe depression. I mean, if they haven't experienced it for themselves, they, they just really should have the wisdom to not think anything negative of them at all and give them a chance to heal slowly and methodically. You know, but, and I mean, and the only way they're ever going to know this is to know a few things. And I mean, people that are severely depressed, they don't feel like there's any way out. They feel hopeless. Mm-hmm. It feels unbearable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think it's going to be endless. You never get any relief except if you can go to sleep. Uh, you feel awful about what it's doing to your wife and your kids. You're scared of losing your job. You've, you're scared of going to a mental institution. You're afraid of the future and how this might end. You're afraid of, of never finding a successful treatment. So, I mean, until they've experienced these kind of things, they just really need to be more sensitive. Mm-hmm. Do you, and we, we can kind of, I mean, y'all think of anything that you want to add to this because I'm kind of wrapping it up. But, Dad, do you remember when you felt assured, okay, things are getting better. We're, we're the beginning of this thing turning around. Cause I mean, you took me to ECT treatments. I mean, that was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, week after week after week. So was there a time where you're like, he's talking a little bit more, you know, we're talking sports or he's laughing or do you, do you remember anything like that? Well, you said you don't want to get into the ECT ECT treatments, but it is the thing I remember is when the first three or four weeks, the, the lady just came, she kept coming back, the doctor, and saying, Well, there's no significant change yet. But then finally, is that how she I know. What is that voice? <laughs> Sorry. That was a little bit too Virgil there. Uh, but then one week she came back and she said, Well, your son has shown significant improvement this time. So we're seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel, I think. So I was yeah. like, all right. And that was, wow. that was, they gave me the same assessment every single morning I would go there. It was like answering questions. Mm-hmm. And so basically that's how, and, and it's a brief, simple assessment, but it does give you a snapshot of how I'm doing. Yeah. It asks all the questions, how much you agree, how much you disagree, and then they number it all. And so, you know, I, I think that my... When I first start going there, I, I want to say you can maybe score a, a 25 maybe. And I mean, I was hitting four, five, six. And yeah. Then yeah, do you I remember, remember the number scale? Because I, I yeah. think I messaged people and I remember you were about the lowest you yeah, could possibly horrendous. go. The numbers were so low. Yeah. I, said, I mean, well, you know, that, having a medical measurement of where you were at yeah. was very sobering. I mean, we knew it and we felt yeah. it, but to have a measurement like that yeah, with the all these was, professionals They helping. asked the same questions every time, so that was a baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that for sure. Yeah, and then when they were telling us where you were and where you were at, I mean, it was... Yeah. Oh, I felt so good. When, you know, <gasps> your, like your number was like, I think your number was like 12. I thought, dang, that's so much better than four. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you and mom have any kind of behind-the-scenes discussions that I'd be interested in hearing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't think of any. Um, no. Well, just the things we've already mentioned. You know, we we just talked openly about that. And I remember the times of her just being angry and just saying, you know, like you said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And, oh, a couple of times she did say things like, uh, 
I just don't believe that God is not answering us yet, not doing something. You know, she'd get mad, and I'd have to say, look, Barbara, you know, we've been through this before with me, and you just got to give this some time, you know. She wasn't hearing it. Right. But she would get over that and come back to reality yeah. and not beat me up or anything. <laughs> Mama <laughs> Bear was pissed up. at God, boy. <laughs> God don't be messing with my son. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It doesn't matter whoever is messing with their son, like a person, a friend, God. <laughs> and, and Barbara's not like that. I mean, she is so sacred and so uh, defensive of defend, being defensive of God. I mean, yeah. Uh, Defending God oh, through anything, but boy, this time she was really pissed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, I'm getting all yeah. flustered because that was just a horrible time. Mm-hmm. Well, I love you, Dad. Thank you. I love for you too, Joey. Being there for me. Love yeah, you too, you Priscilla. A rock. You too. Thank you, a rock for both Priscilla and I. Mm-hmm. We made it. We did. We did. <laughs> so. In sharing our story, we hope that we can contribute just a little bit, even if it's a drop in the bucket of the huge endeavor of the stigmatizing mental illness, just providing some insight in general. We also desire that these conversations will possibly provide some hope for others who suffer in similar ways, as well as offer hope to family and friends of people who suffer with mental illness. Over the course of many episodes, we'll be sharing our story and it will expand through the lenses of many family and friends who are with us up close and personally suffering alongside us. In the next two to three weeks, we'll be releasing an episode with our pastor, counselor, friend, mentor, Chip Judd, who was there up close and personal for me and Priscilla during these dark times. Thank you guys for listening, and may we all keep hope alive. So-